Welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm and trauma. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm and trauma. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Start By Listening. This is Jennifer, a.k.a. The Friendly Therapist, with my P.I.C. Welcome back, everybody. It's Shelby. Hello. Today, we're here with another amazing guest, and I think I say that all the time, but I I think it's true. They're all amazing. Absolutely every single one of them. Yes, they really are. Um, Some of them we have known. Some of them we met just, what, a week before? Yeah, they show up. A few days, we just cold call and say, hey, you want to be on a podcast? And so many people have been gracious enough to join us. We're pretty (laughs) excited about that. But today's a little different. Today we have with us Terry Congleton. She is a practitioner here in our community. She's a nurse practitioner with Carico uh, Congleton Family Practice. And um, I love her dearly. She's been taking care of me and my family for... Oh my gosh, 12 years? When did you come back to Owensboro? 10. 10. 10 years. That's right, because when I first came back to Owensboro, I didn't have a doctor. Well, like, this is my first time meeting her, and I still don't have a doctor. So. <laughs> <laughs> you might have one after today. Um, but we're so excited to have Terry here with us, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Welcome, Terry, to Start By Listening. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I, my name's Terry Congleton. Um, I'm a mother of five boys. I have an awesome husband, John. Uh, we moved to Owensboro about 10 years ago. My mom, uh, also a nurse practitioner, she's the Carico of Carico Congleton Family Practice. Uh, she was, I believe, one of the first nurse practitioners to have independent practice in the state of Kentucky, uh, and particularly in our area. She opened her practice 11 years ago mm-hmm. at the same time that a lot of quality measures and uh, EMR, all those things, and mm-hmm. things that were uh, we're not trained for in school, mm-hmm. uh, but have to learn on the fly. Uh, so she opened her practice kind of out of a transitional time in healthcare, and uh, it grew. She had been practicing in Owensboro for uh, quite a while, um, and had already had kind of a ready-made practice. Uh, so doing that plus the you know mm-hmm. launch a practice thing uh, kind of grew faster than she could grow. Yeah. So uh, she. You know, hinted around for a bit, asked if uh, I would join. Uh, at the time, I when I graduated from high school, uh, we moved away. Or I moved away. Uh, I met a husband and lived in the uh, southern Indiana, New Albany, a little area. Uh, loved the area. Loved my job. I had a really good gig going. Um, at the time, I just had three children. And uh, God started calling me. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of like Jonah and the whale, mm-hmm. um, I dragged my feet and resisted the call uh, until, <laughs> until my husband uh, also is receiving the call and felt like we needed to move to Owensboro. So we moved to Owensboro and uh, God has provided. Uh, we have a, a practice that started out at, I believe, 800 square feet. Uh, with, it was tiny. It was teeny tiny little closet. It had uh, two and a half exam rooms. One exam room only fit a chair in there, and the provider had to stay. Um, and now we have uh, a practice of three thousand square feet. We have three providers. Uh, we have a total of eight staff members. Uh, we've we've grown, and God has been good to us. And you know, we just are the hands and feet. Uh, 
of, of Christ and, and, and join the community of Owensboro stronger. Help and make us healthy. I, I mean, I love you all. I love everybody in your practice. Um, everybody is kind, compassionate. Um, they always greet us by name. It is really like... It's the bee's knees, and I refer to you all all the time. So if you all are getting calls, it's because Jennifer is like, you guys, you need to go to Caracol Congleton. They're awesome. But, they, I mean, really. Um, and I remember when you were in the old Mayfair building, like the teeny tiny, it, it's now $300,000 plus condominiums. If, if very nice. Much nicer than our <laughs> basement that when it rained, our floors were wet. Yes. <laughs> It was rough. It was rough. It was a rough game. It was right behind the health park over on off of Ford Avenue, which is like literally two minutes from our office here. Oh, yeah. Two minutes from our office. I still don't know Owensboro well (laughs) enough because I'm I'm like trying to piece it together. But But it was an old building from, gosh, what, 50s? Yes. It had been remodeled and pieced, remodeled and pieced together. It was, yeah. Is that the place your mom opened? Because you started with her starting the practice. It sounds like she shattered a lot of glass ceilings in the area. She did. She did. She. My mom's a, a mover and shaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she did. She she opened it in the basement uh, of the that building, and I joined her there. Then we moved the upstairs. We had fifteen hundred square feet, and we thought we were in a castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that one we had four exam rooms. Um, and which gave us each two, which was nice. That was nice. Um, and then when they sold the building, uh, Gary Cecil, uh, I think around here they call him Bubba. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he's a good, he's a good guy. A good yeah. Southern name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he, uh, he purchased the building, came in and said, I've got, you know, there's more for you guys. Basically I've, mm-hmm. I've got a solution, but I'm going to tear this place down. And, uh, so he gave, he, he built us another office. Um, on New Hartford Road, and uh, we became landowners, uh, which was, you know, that was mm-hmm. a huge step as far as uh, faith and trust and, you know, know, thinking that, okay, this is, we've got something viable yes. um, that we can do, and um, he, he built us an awesome space and uh, tore down the uh, leaky, really old building that was very cold and dangerous. <laughs> and it was <laughs> yes and, and their space now is just beautiful because I love the location of the office because it backs up to that like the cemetery is there a cemetery it's Roseville Cemetery yeah. I didn't know and little, that and one piece is a neighborhood and then the other corner is where the cemetery comes up well next time I'm gonna I'm going to look for that because I'm supposed to say the trees mm-hmm. and the berm, you know, it's, it's so nice. And, you know, especially because anytime you go to the doctor, it's just a little nerve wracking, right? It's like, oh no, what's my blood pressure going to be? <laughs> yeah. And how are my labs? You know, it's just that little initial look. Or if you have to have like a really like sensitive, tough conversation with your provider, you know, all of that nervous system, it just kind of works up. And so I'll look at the trees and I'm walking in and now I know that there are some cemetery stuff <laughs> i didn't know that's so cool yeah it, it's a great location yeah. as far as it's kind of secluded and mm-hmm. we get uh we, we do get a lot of leaps so when it rains <laughs> the parking lot just a little yeah. a little sleep <laughs> but uh we've got a, a lawn care center if you've been in my office this week the lawn care has been doing leaf harvest um, all week it uh 
They're very visible. <laughs> a little loud. Sometimes hard to hear a heart tone. <laughs> Bit. Have no, to wait. Bit. Have to wait for pause and leaf blower. But now it's it, it, it's a great location. It's uh, yeah, very nice. Also, uh, just a little tidbit: you come from a long line of healthcare professionals. Like it is, like I think embedded in your all's DNA and just the service to the community. I mean, truly. Uh, my grandmother, uh, Dolores, uh, is a she's another really uh, amazing person when she her father was uh, killed at a very young age and she the family was you know, during depression uh, she needed to work and so she uh, changed her birth certificate <laughs> to go work at Our Lady of Mercy wow. at 13 yeah and worked as a nurse's aide uh, in Lumen Delivery and then after that, um, mm-hmm. through her life, has worked at doctor's offices, mm-hmm. uh, self-educated, uh, got her GED. Um, she, I know that you had some work with McCauley Clinic at some yes, point. Yes, yes, I did. Um, she helped launch the pharmacy that was in there and helped did staff she? McCauley Clinic. Yes, she has a huge passion for people. I know that she and my mom are dear friends, and they work together, yes. um, I think, at Mercy Hospital. Yes. Like, Many, 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 yeah. So I think that that's that service of the heart of service is. is I think yeah. she she's kind of the matriarch of that. And then yeah. my mom became a nurse when she was. This was when we were RNs, you know, uh, ASN and MPSN. Mm-hmm. She got her ASN, I think, when she was twenty. And then my dad uh, originally was in business and went back to school uh, when he was forty. And was had a long career. He actually just retired mm-hmm. um, as an as a nurse. My older brother is a physician, mm-hmm. um, and then my younger brother is a special education teacher. Yeah. So we uh, we come from a long long line of uh, we like to get our hands dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but I think too that's just um, you know a testament to how much that your family really truly invests and has invested over the years in our local community of bringing healing um in whatever fashion that means right to those those people who come to you for the service so I thought that was important just to highlight because it is um and also just the the beautiful way um that you all tend to those needs of, of, of our community members. I think that's important to highlight. Well, thank you. Yeah. We've been called, and Owensboro's a great place to live. It's a great place to be. And it's, it's, there's not many places like this left. No, and I hope we never get an interstate through our city. <laughs> because it's a protective factor. I mean, it really is. Yeah, you have to want to come here. Yeah. <laughs> to get here. Not just for the barbecue. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. You go. No. No. No, we're going to fight over this. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to win. You go. You are. You are. Um, that is a beautiful history of just the care in your family, um, caretakers, just through and through. I have to say this just because you said she changed her birth certificate during the Depression to work at the age of 13. My 
grandfather-in-law also changed his birth certificate during the depression to join the military. So I'm, it's just fascinating how easy it was to just up and change your birth certificate um, back in, back in the day. And when, when everything was in pencil, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I, who knew it would be that common? Just I, fascinating story. But I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Not really. But segue into, with such a long history of, like, caretakers in your family and podcast is about trauma, Um and I know briefly you mentioned talking about uh, secondary trauma and how that affects us as individuals in caretaking roles. I'm sure you've seen it since you were young with your family being in these roles. Um, could you talk about that and what you're seeing with trauma in the community amongst caretakers? Um, it's funny, as you were saying that, I, it words trigger memories mm-hmm. uh remember like just took me to our, our dinner table uh, when I was a kid and my, my mom worked in the ICU and my dad worked in the CCU and so they took care of very sick people mm-hmm. and uh, mom would we we held dinner for after football practice because my both my brothers were very good football players so they had lots work out uh and we held dinner for mom and dad to get home uh so we would be sitting down for family dinner and uh mom would kind of decompress from her day or dad would decompress from her day and so as a kid I can remember you know their intensity or their their you know joy or frustration or whatever would come from from that and you know just from a outsider's end just 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 seeing that and then now as a provider um seeing our, our service workers in the last three years I think have been called to stretch themselves in ways that probably we never could have written. You know, I, yeah. there are things in the last three years that I could have never, ever have predicted, you know, or uh, as far as yes. links that you would have to go to, to try to get a patient help or mm-hmm. um, some of the creativity that we would have to do in order to see a patient. Um, the, some of that, you know, it has been actually very beneficial. Like you get fancy things like that, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you're, you're doing marketing. Yeah. Um, or, you know, our technology, telehealth, all of that has come a long way. But then I think it definitely has left a lot of, uh, of us tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I know in the last three years, I have friends, colleagues um, that are just phenomenal providers. And, you know, you should call and check with each other and text each other. And they're just saying, Uh, you know, uh, care fatigue is the term that they're using mm-hmm. in nursing magazines mm-hmm. right now, um, where they're just, they're just if you, almost like the idea that you got nothing left for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing that, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it burnout. I definitely know there's definitely burnout going, and I've mm-hmm. had moments where, uh, you know, I always try to be very careful with the words you choose, but sometimes things come out, and you're like, oh, I'm I would not have said that three years ago. Uh, Guilty uh, too. Yes. And then then you beat yourself up about it. um, So, yeah, I think that there's definitely some burnout going, but 
uh, Jennifer talked about a little bit ago about uh, maybe fatigue, where we just need to take extra time to recharge our batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's become a, a big theme um, amongst my colleagues and um, something that I'm talking to my, my patients about. I, I see a, a number of teachers, uh, nurses, uh, therapists. Uh, I mean, I'm probably leaving out. There's a lot of service workers out there that have yeah. really given a Every- lot last few years um, but you're just encouraging them to have some boundaries with work um, I had at one point during the pandemic and school still went on we still needed new graduate providers and I had a student that could not hardly get through her education because of the amount of hours that was required for her at her employer um, wow. because you know people people Work volume went up when we're talking about healthcare. Yes, um, and available bodies went down as far as you know, my kid has COVID. I can't come to work. We're in quarantine. Um, so her education took longer than it needed to or would have three years ago, and that that hit for her is a pocketbook issue. She got paid, keeps paying tuition. She's yeah. student loans, all those things. Um, so, you know, I think it, it spills out in a lot of different ways. Um, I, in my, I have always, 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 <laughs> I love what I do. I have a passion for it. I love what I do. But I, I had some days where I just thought, how can I take another tragedy? I had a, we had a month in 2021, September of 2021, where I was losing classmates. I had patients that were on the ventilator, and I just just didn't think they were going to come off. And uh, carrying that, the weight of that, it was it was hard. And I cannot imagine what these. I have some ICU nurses. I just my love for them is is immense. I mean, they just yeah had some some big days, hard days, really hard days, and. I think, like, before I became a nurse, I didn't have an understanding of the way medicine worked. Yeah. Right? I just knew from television, right, movies, that's it, which is not reality. (laughs) And so my husband, he's a computer programmer, so this gives you just a little bit of just understanding. He has no understanding of hospitals, the medical world, anything. And when things were very bleak and we were losing many, many people, I tried to explain to him that when I worked as the nurse case manager in the ICU here, we would maybe have a death per day, maybe every few days. And this is not talking about hospice patients. Okay, just... And I said, so when you go from that, which is the norm, to where you're having multiple deaths every day, that is not normal. And I said, the toll that takes on the nurses, on the housekeeper, on the janitor, um, on uh, the front desk people, because that's energy. It's felt all through the hospital. And knowing that you have all of this knowledge in your head, knowing that you went to school 
to save people's lives. And knowing that everything you're doing, which is everything that you're supposed to do, and it's not going to work. Right. Best efforts. It's not enough. Then that gets internalized. And again, I'm explaining to a computer programmer. (laughs) Then all of that gets internalized to a negative thought of, oh my God, I'm not good enough. You know? And I said, so what you're seeing on the television when they're saying multiple bodies, it is... It is true, and it is affecting the soul of the people who work every day in that. And then those people go home. Yes. And they have spouses or parents or children, and those children feel it at one point. Yes. uh, My children could quote the care of COVID uh, because, you know, I, I, I got a take care of them that I take call too. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody mm-hmm. calls and says, you know, I've tested positive, what do I do? And at one point I hear my at now 12 year old, I think it was 10 or 11 at the time, uh, in the background, just going ahead, quick rap, you know, rapid fire, r- rattling off. Okay. Well, I want you to go ahead and make sure you're walking. You got to deep breathe. You got to, you just had your, yeah, you had, you know, you had my spiel on my down. And then, um, you know, school's in session. And, uh, I think there was a few times kind of the same thing where like my, at the time would have been seven, eight year old, um, you know, friends at school were like, I've got a runny nose. And you're like, oh, no, you got to. Have you been tested yet? <laughs> Can you smell? So you're raising the next generation of caretakers. I guess I am. My 12-year-old says he's going to buy out my practice. Well, I hope you got a lot of dogs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, oh, the, that trauma, that the, I mean, it does. It affects the soul. I mean, there were days where um, yeah. I, I you just, you just felt so heavy. Everything felt so heavy. And then you go home and uh, your home is your safe place, or should be your safe place. Mm-hmm. And um, that that affects the safe place, mm-hmm. uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and it leaves a mark. You know, absolutely, trauma changes us. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, but I do feel like um, it has offered a lot of opportunities. Um, this offered offered a lot of opportunities for growth. You know, um, reinventing how we do things, uh, at least in my office. We, you know, before, I don't want to say we were a box, it's not very nice. <laughs> but the, the, what our care looked like was um, a patient makes an appointment, a patient comes into my office, I see patient, patient goes to the front desk, patient goes home. Um, we started doing some curbside care where um, I have COVID. I don't want to infect your, your staff or I don't want you to infect my staff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like you need to be seen. Yes. So I can still see you. We don't have to go to the emergency room. We don't have to go to urgent care. There are definite places for that, but they're burdened and you are my patient. Mm-hmm. And I know what your lungs are supposed to sound like. And I know what my goals, our goals are together. So um, pull up on the curb. Put on my fancy outfit. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the fancy outfit. No, w- luckily, uh, I, I kept us out and safe until <laughs> vaccines came. Yes. Okay, Please describe it really quickly, but yes. <laughs> for the uh, audience. Well, um, at the very beginning, you know, at the very beginning, um, I think that was it Stephen Stack, uh, 
gave a message to all the uh, medical practices and said, I think it was a talk that was, I think he called it, do the right thing. And so they asked us to close our practices, to close our practice to anything that didn't absolutely need to be seen. Uh, switch to telehealth or we could switch to telehealth. Um, and so we, we did that. Um, but then, you know, people needed to be seen, people needed to be evaluated, but we needed to do it safely. And so at the time, you know, this was early on and you know, that lots of things changed, you know, um, but contact, uh, we, we weren't certain that COVID couldn't be spread by contact. And so, um, and even now care of a COVID patient includes, uh, you wear a, a gown, which for us was a yellow paper disposable gown. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we needed to wear a face shield. Um, you could not find a face shield. Uh, everything got gobbled up as far as on the market. And my husband put out a plea on Facebook that, you know, my wife is a healthcare provider. We can't find any face shields. Um, does anyone have one we could purchase from you? And there's a roofer in town um, who actually brought me a brand new face shield that oh. I still use and I'm pretty certain I could weld in it. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, it's a super nice face shield. Um, but you know, it comes all the way down the face and then you, you're supposed to wear goggles. And then, uh, at the time in 95 masks, but those couldn't be found. So KN95 is what we use. Um, and then gloves and then I need my tools too. And I don't have pockets. Yeah. So I have a bag that is, was dedicated just for, curbside care um, that, um, you know, had my, all my stethoscope and that kind of stuff. And it was dedicated stethoscope and dedicated, dedicated oscope, dedicated mm-hmm. oxygen mark, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, clean snot out of it when we came back in. We had, uh, my husband is an amazing man uh, and is a realtor, not a healthcare provider. <laughs> uh, he, uh, in 24 hours, was able to, able to get me some signs made. Um, that we could put on the side of our our armor curve mm-hmm. that had arrow that said uh, care for competent care and practice sick right and so um, it patients would know where to stop because they you couldn't come into the main entrance we wanted you to stay in your car yeah. and I still do it I still come out to you um, if you have um, COVID I, I you know I have I have a hundred year old hundred one year old patient and so I have to protect mm-hmm. my folks on the inside but I have mm-hmm. to take care of my patients on the outside. And so one good thing that came out of it is that we got creative. We started doing curbside care. Um, telehealth got really okay at that. <laughs> it's so hard for me. I like, I like touch. Yeah, it's a touching profession. That's a, that triggers my PTSD. <laughs> I did not like telehealth, and my clients did not like it either. And it was exciting. And, you know, the platform works, the platform doesn't work. You don't know how to turn the mute off. Can I try to talk to you how to work? Can you turn the mute off that you can't hear me because you don't have your volume on? I think that was just, yeah. It was a circus. <laughs> oh, you know, thinking about the beginning of the pandemic, like you were talking, there were so many unknowns. Yeah. And um, before we started recording, one of the words that you had really thought about and prayed on, you know, about before coming on was the word fear. Fear. And it's still a problem. It yeah, it because there's still so many unknowns, right? Yeah. Well I think uh, beyond pandemic, you know, we've had economy, we've had mm-hmm. um, social unrest, political unrest, you uh, 
jobs. We've had two major employers here in our area have layoffs in the last yes. six months or so. Yeah. Um, I can remember we had, we adopted a, a little boy uh, and had they when you adopted your cocoon is what it's called. And it's six weeks where you don't really you don't have people into your home. You don't have you don't go out a lot. You know mm-hmm. you do the, the the minimal things that you need to do outside the home. But you stay in the home and with the child mm-hmm. and you just bond. It's just like hardcore intense bonding. Interesting. Um, we came out of our cocoon on uh, March the 13th of 2020. Today I signed on my house. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, good day. <laughs> March 15th of 2020, I closed my office and my kids came home from school. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, it that offered us an opportunity. Uh, but it, it when I went back to my office, you know, on the 15th or on the 14th, uh, they, they've been surviving because, you know, they had their, at the time, two uh, primary providers, myself and my mom. I've, I'm half that ship. Half the ship had been gone. Mm-hmm. And so they had been surviving. I, they, you know, we didn't, we needed some things like uh, bleach, mm-hmm. <laughs> sanitizing wipes, toilet paper. We had not stocked up necessarily in anticipation of what was going on. And I don't know that we could have necessarily predicted that either. Mm-hmm. So uh, my oldest son and I uh, go to Sam's Club to try to buy things. Shelves are bare. Can't find anything. And everything has a limit. So we go to Walmart. Shelves are bare. Can't find anything. Everything's a limit. And my, at the time, I see that he would have been probably 12 at the time. Um, he was like, oh, what's happening? It's scary. What's going on? And with some fear. And I remember just kind of in the back of my head, like, this is eerie. This this feels like something on like a Netflix original or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fortunately, we went to Target and they had everything we needed. So, um, but we uh, we got what we needed, and um, so I don't know. Maybe that was that that next winter a snow was coming, mm-hmm. and uh, we went and did the bread milk egg thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, he was with me again, and it was the typical typical what happens when you go to the store before snow. And his, I could see the fear come back in him. Mm. He said, Mom, is it coming again? Yeah. Is it happening? That fear has not left a lot of us. No. Uh, and I see it. It comes out in different ways with people. Um, I don't know that I'm, I'm not a therapist. I don't know all the fancy terms. I call it temporary living. You know, mm-hmm. not living for the futuristically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we make... A lot of times the decisions when we're, we don't know necessarily what tomorrow holds. I think we make decisions uh, that aren't always the best ones for us. Or maybe they're more um, feeling related and less logical related. So, um, and and people are having a hard time getting out of that now. So, um, spending money with them. Um, Fidelity. See, we have a choice amount of that. Um, Drugs and alcohol—that's that's another one. That I mean, it, a lot. Of, and I wouldn't necessarily say from an alcohol standpoint. Many of my folks are, will come in and say, "I'm drinking a lot more." Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily addiction. A lot, a lot of times they're able to say, "I know I'm doing it. I'm backing off." I, I, you know, this is not. But it's more of I don't need a place to go. I don't need to do. Don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Probably going to be quarantine. So I'm going to pick up six pack, <laughs> you know, or something like that. Um, and then hoarding. That's probably something that I have seen 
you know, from a social standpoint, you know, not only did we have bare shelves, but medicines got recalled. A lot of medicines got recalled in there. Um, and a lot of medicines weren't being made. Uh, or the factories that were making them started making other stuff to feed the pandemic. Uh, so our patients that are like, they'll come in and say, I found this pharmacy in Canada and they'll give me a year's worth. Can you start writing me 360? <laughs> You're like, oh, really? <laughs> what if we make a change? <laughs> well, then I'll just give it to somebody. <laughs> there's, there's lots of layers here. <laughs> um, but, you know, hoarding other things too, food. Um, I've got patients that will come in and you know, tell me they're going to, what, I don't know what, I don't know what you're going to ask them but, you know, if I, particularly during the election cycle, fear that their guns would be taken away. Mm-hmm. Um buying however many bullets you're allowed, uh, you're rationed or whatever for that amount yes. of time. Or, uh, and, and they weren't necessarily a couple of people. They didn't know how to shoot the daggum things. I asked them, what are you doing with them? I'll keep them in the box in case they ever take them away. Mm-hmm. Why did you want them if you don't use them? I mean, there's some, I understand where the, there's fear. Yeah. Fear of what's coming socially. Yeah. Fear of what's going to be taken away from them. Fear of what's going to be available. And I wouldn't, I'm not, I don't pass judgment. I don't think that they're, you know, making poor choices. I think that they're, that they are responsible for it. Uh, Yeah. In my world, we call that survival. It's a, it's a nervous system state. Just get down to basics. It is survival. Um, It's either we're in the sympathetic of we're going to fight our way or we're going to flight. We're going to run away and avoid. Or we're going to freeze, right, like a deer in headlights. Or at that most prehistoric, basic part of our nervous system, um, it's called dorsal, which I call possuming when you play dead, you know. And that survival state for each person is different. Yeah. And within each place has different levels of spiciness within its own. And it is survival. And when we are afraid... Um, we don't feel safe. Yeah. We don't feel connected. And that's the top of our nervous system is that social engagement, which only came about in the last, I'm going to say, 200,000 years. So it's new. Right. <laughs> but there's so much that has created the fear of not being safe. And it gets um, fed by the media. It gets fed by misinformation. Is that on your list? That's on my list is the misinformation, mistrust, misinformation. And, you know, I I remember when everything shut down, because we shut down too, for a year, we didn't see anybody in person. Um, There was so much fear, so much misinformation and mistrust. And I remember saying to some of my coworkers, you know, I trust my providers because I know they know what they're doing. And I know they know what they're doing because they have helped me in the past and I have become well. So I trust their knowledge. I said, I cannot imagine being in this moment where people are saying, oh, you don't know what you're talking about because I read this or I saw this. And I would be, I'm just saying, I would be like, do you know how many hours I studied and 
Tessa had to pass in, not only Tessa, but like being in real time, working with people in a hospital. That would be so hard. Like that mistrust. Mistrust for healthcare. It wasn't definitely there before the pandemic, but between, you know, misinformation. Oh, yeah. And uh, then also, you know, in healthcare, the last few things have changed. You know, we, we mm-hmm. give you our best information at the time. There's the, there's the key. What, at the time? <laughs> yes, because. Because our body of knowledge changes. Yes. You know, 200 years ago, if you had a problem, we sent you to the barber and he bled you. And we don't do that anymore because we learned it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> and some sanitary. But, and that, that's, this was a, a time in life or has been and still is a time in life where we see our body of knowledge just rapidly changing and unfolding. And so what I told you at the beginning of the pandemic and what I tell you now isn't necessarily the same or what I prescribed to you yep. at the beginning is not necessarily uh, what I prescribe to you now, um, but I feel like a part of so my personal angle on how I take care of people is, you know, I don't make your decisions for you. Um, it's not a paternalistic relationship. We're partners. I'm going to give you the information. We're going to make a decision together. We're going to make goals together. Your goal, your goal, might not be the same thing because you have different lives. You have different, yep. you know, limitations and different, you know, strengths. So, um, when I have done that, normally it's, it's been a friendly conversation because I'm, I'm a relatively friendly person most of the time, <laughs> uh, but it's sometimes it has become, I, I don't like adversarial conversations with, with particularly in, in, in healthcare because it's, it gets us nowhere. Um, but I've had to put up signs in my office that says, I love you. I want the best for you. But I will not argue. Um, I will present your the the information, and we'll make a decision together. Um, but that's solely been a COVID thing, and now that now I've taken down because you know people get tired of seeing that kind of stuff. But I took a picture of it. <laughs> I did. It's on my phone. I was like, I love this. Well, you know, it's, it's conversations. All we need. Some people can't have conversations. They just yeah. argue. But and you know they. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, but it has become sales. I feel like a lot of my job has become sales, and I'm not necessarily skilled in that. That got to be exhausting, too. It can be. Yes, it definitely can be. Yeah. Like, okay. And it, this, I think the stem of it, like you were talking about, is fear. And what I know about our nervous system, it likes context. It likes routines, right? Routines. Bring about feeling of safety. Right. And because things change so much and it was so quick, it's like, where's the opportunity to stop, gather myself, gather my bearings? Oh, God, here we go again. It's like being on the tilt world. Yeah, yeah. And holiday world, the thing that you stand on and it. Spinging the turk tilt And you're like, okay, it's slowing down. Okay, I can get off. Oh, God, here we go again. Right. It, I think that's kind of how we have been, and that does nothing but perpetuate fear. Yeah. Oh, definitely feeds it. Feeds it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I have found a large part of my job, um, definitely trying to 
dispel myths or misinformation or correct old information, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, yesterday I was talking to Andrea, who's a nurse practitioner in my office, um, and, you know, just kind of about what we're going to talk about and sharing ideas. And she said, you know, I find myself a lot of times giving permission. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you, you, you need to go back to church. You know, you, you can do it in a safe way where you won't get sick. Um, you can sit in a choir loft. You could go on a day, um, if you're, you know, if you're Catholic, you have daily mass. Go yeah. on a daily mass instead of a Sunday mass so that you're not in the thick of it. If you're fearful that you'll see people that you know, go to somebody else's church just so that you can get back yeah. in. Or, um, I mean, I still have grandparents who haven't seen grandchildren, you know, sometimes for the first time. Wow. And the grandchild might now be two and a half years old. Wow. Um, but giving them permission of, you know, it's probably time you need to re-enter. We need to, we need to re-engage. Uh, it's sad to me. My grandmother, um, during the pandemic, she has, she has a, a health problem that makes it very, very easy for catch mm-hmm. illnesses and so she has to be careful what she does um we put her on lockdown uh, she has she has six children she has uh, over 25 grandchildren I don't know. she's got she got a bunch of people to care about her. um so we put her on lockdown and uh, we would talk she had a, it's just a glass door we would talk through the glass door we all would either ride our bikes or stop in we'd leave food on the doorstep mm-hmm. whatever um so i went over one day and she opened up the door and she said i made lunch you're coming in <laughs> and I was like, uh, ma'am, you know what I do for a living? You know, I, I test people for COVID and I take care of people. And she said, well, your attempt at keeping me alive is killing me. Yep. I, I need you to come in and have lunch. Yep. And um, now there are still people who are living in that lockdown. And we did that. My family, I did it. I was in part of it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. out of fear for my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are still people living in that fear. And um, I think, you know, the, the fear of illness is still there. I mean, you know, we, we're, we're not going to get away from that. Um, but we got to learn how to live with it and learn how to live again. Yes. I know we may be living a little different, but we need to learn to live again. Yeah. And um, I think some people are definitely there. Uh, some people never left that. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. You know, they, they made through. Um one thing I'm, I'm really encouraging my patients in, in that fear state is, what are you doing for fun? You know, where's, where's your carefree timelessness? Where's your, mm-hmm. where do you find your joy? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people lost that. They lost their joy. Because they're stuck. Because they're stuck. And so, you know, trying to figure out, mm-hmm. how can I, how can I re-engage? Can I go on a five-minute meal vacation? <laughs> Whatever it is, you know? Um, so hard though. Um, like as you were telling the story about, you know, your mother, I could relate to that. My parents are older. My dad will be 90 in January. My mom just turned 86. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, I remember, um, and I had this conversation with, um, my supervisor. I said, Oh my God, all the things that I used to do to help me cope with life, they stopped working. Like, what do I do now? And in true ADHD fashion, that sent me on a quest. And I went down the rabbit hole and I haven't come back out yet because it's just phenomenal. But I remember I had this need to control because I thought controlling 
the story mm-hmm. would give me safety. And so I was like, I was that person. I was like, um, you got to wipe down your groceries because you know, we don't know who knows. Like I'm thinking in my head, that doesn't make sense. Why would it be contact? But you know, right. And I remember like, um, I'm not coming over, um, because I, I don't want to kill you. Like that was my story. Like if I get sick, I'm okay with getting sick. But if I give you something, oh, I'll live with that for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. And survivor skill isn't is it's absolutely real. real. It is real. And absolutely real with COVID. I have yes. I mean, I'm sure you're seeing it too, patient after patient. I had it, didn't know I had it, gave it dad, yep. dad, dad. Even around here, of um, we had a a spread of it this summer, and it was and nobody died in our office, but. Many people got sick, right? Mm-hmm. And people literally in tears, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And I'm like, hey, it's it's okay. I, it is what it is. Um, that need to control. You will wear a mask. You know, you're going to, you're not going to go out. And finally, um, after doing some things to help with that uh, and tending to me, I realized mm, it's not my decision to make a decision for them. Right. And like your grandmother, you know, she said, you're coming in. We're having lunch. <laughs> you're killing me by not killing me kind of thing. Okay. And I remember I had that distinct moment with my parents as well. And I said, I'm sorry. I've been, and you know what? And because I'm afraid, like I named it, like I couldn't put my head around it back then. But I, I said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to kill you. Once I said those words, whoo. Yeah. And they said, you're never going to kill us. Maybe we get sick, but it's not because of you. And they said, we don't really want to wear masks. And we're okay with people coming over. And I said, well, if you're okay with it, then I have to get okay with it because it's your choice. Yeah. And I was like, but I don't want to let go of control. <laughs> Control's Which breeds more fear. You're right. This is my first time in a while truly reflecting on what those first couple months of COVID were, were like. And I told you, I moved here, right? We signed on our house right before the shutdown. So I'm from 12 hours away. We have no family here. Talk about isolation. I had a job lined up. I lost that because they paused hiring. My husband, who's the reason we moved down here, uh, he was essential because they, he works in liquor. They started making hand sanitizer. So I'm in a new home that I hate with no family, with no husband during the day, with only what's on the news guiding me, like no outside influences because I don't have the coworkers and like I'm sparsely texting my friends, no really, no real relationship with family. So it's just that isolation and that fear Mm -hmm. and the way that we're talking when you mentioned earlier how the shelves were bare and it was kind of dystopian I remember my panic attacks got so bad like I refused to leave the house like I was shut down for Mm -hmm. three months with nothing and I never really thought about it Mm -hmm. and this is just like bringing up so many feelings and you're gonna love this but like my nervous system during this conversation has been really shut down because I've been listening to your different experiences and reflecting on my own. And it was a time of true fear. Yes. And I could see it through everyone on Facebook, like getting all this different 
two sides of information because I have family and friends on both sides of, and they're just feeding all of this misinformation or misunderstanding and believing. And what do we believe? What do you believe? And I mean, now that we're on the other side of it, yep. almost completely on the other side of it, it's just so interesting, interesting to reflect on. And I love your perspective because the only thing I've heard about healthcare workers is what I've seen on the news mm-hmm. and what I've read in articles. And I feel like this just one-on-one, like your experience and like, Basically having to wear a hazmat suit to interact with clients, that's, that has to be something really deep. I don't know. It changes. It, has, it had to have changed your entire perspective about the healthcare services in general, right? You start, I think you start to really look at what's necessary. Yeah. Uh, and you, you kind of reevaluate, you know, I really love my patients. I mean, I have filial love. Like, I, I, I mm-hmm. love my patients, and I don't want to see harm come to them. And I can be a bit territorial when it comes to that. And so when they get sick, and I'm told I can't open my doors to them, that was the most helpless feeling I think I have ever had in uh, it, it, as a mother, there's been a lot of times when I've had you know, a sick child that I felt yeah. helpless, but this was one that I just could not get my brain, my hands, my heart around because it felt like you took every tool that I have away from me. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of go to the drawing board and say, okay, mm-hmm. these are the limitations I have. How can I do what I know I am being called to do? How can I do it well? And how can I help my patient know that I love them? Mm-hmm. Get creative. Get creative. At one point, uh, you know, there was, uh, I don't know if you remember in the testing portion of it, we weren't allowed to test unless there was a really good reason. Mm-hmm. Because there just weren't enough tests. Um, and then when they, we did start getting tests, um, they were just flooding in so much that the labs would get overwhelmed. And um, I have a a medical assistant who works with me. Her name is Keisha, and she's amazing. Um, But she, uh, we would run into where, and we use this lab, and what was a 24-hour turnaround now has become seven days. And seven days later, for me to tell you that you do or do not have COVID is a little pointless at that that moment. Um, So Keisha got wicked smart, and uh, she found us other other labs we could use and so we went at one point I had a almost a different daily rotation of which lab I was going to use based on their turnaround time and or which one had the supplies that I could use wow. some of them I couldn't even like I could do the test but I didn't have the kit to do it so you know, what's the point of that you know they're they're accepting stuff but they don't have the gear yeah mm-hmm. um so we just got we just had to learn how to do and um, I think there's great lessons in that for me, you know, uh, moving forward. Uh, there's, there's one, I say this on a regular basis, one, one white skin cat, you know, mm-hmm. we can, we can figure this out. Let's just put a band in. Uh, so that has been a uh, positive, a definitely positive. 
um, it's a time that you know I, I am thankful for. Mm-hmm. There's so much growth in that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I agree. Um, and in fact, you know, while there were moments of COVID that were not friendly, I'm gonna say that. Yeah. Um, overall, I was one of the um, fortunate people to. COVID was a, a very and has been a very kind time to me to allow growth, to allow a change, to allow new ways of yeah. doing. Um, and I see that as a, a beautiful blessing and an opportunity. Uh, and, and I also see it as a privilege, you know, because not, not many people were afforded, you know, that privilege. Right. Right. Um, but then I also see that because I was given that moment of how that now can benefit and help other people as well. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Uh, we have a, have a pastor uh, that we're friends with uh, that uses, will often say the heart cannot, uh, the eye cannot see what the heart has not felt. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as we go through these trying, you know, tribulations or whatever, you know, your heart is feeling it. Yes. And so in the future now, I can help others. I can help see it and, and, and mm-hmm. use my experience with others. And so I do think that that's a, it's a great blessing. But gosh, growth is painful sometimes. Uh, yes. <laughs> and not only is it painful, it's exhausting. Yeah. And, you know, that's healing. Let's talk about, you know, physical healing, whether it's from a surgery or an illness like COVID, you know, um, and then mental health healing when you're doing your work, you know, the shadow work, when you're setting boundaries, um, when you're being reflective and taking accountability and responsibility for your own actions, right? All that it's tiring. Mm-hmm. And part of healing is rest. Yes. Yes. Cause and we're not a really a restful society. No. Owensboro <laughs> in particular is not a restful town. We got a lot of travel ball to go to. <laughs> we got a lot yes. of, I mean, well, we moved here. Uh, one of the realtors that uh, my husband talked to was like, you know, this is the city of festivals. I think, you see, there's a festival every weekend. Owensboro <laughs> is not, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful town, but there's always something going on. Yeah. There is. And that promotes that sympathetic, you know, to a certain degree, uh, response within our nervous system. And, um, you know, I like to tell my clients all the time, you've got to rest. You got to rest. Yeah. I can't tell you what that's going to look like for you. We can come up with thoughts and ideas and options. Right. Um, but if you don't rest, you're going to burn out. Right. Like, like the, the rocket that goes, or this little, um, Fireworks, you know, (laughs) and because we are so go, 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 rest almost kind of feels like punishment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why, you know, time out in a bed, you know, putting your kid in time out in a bed. It's a terrible idea. Just punish them. Put them to bed. Now, now as a, as a mom, I'm like, oh gosh, there's somebody putting me in time out. Sorry, I'm in timeout. <laughs> <laughs> I can't come out. Um, I, I frequently would say, you know, we can't pour from an empty vessel. 
And so unless we're really taking the time to refill, reset, recharge, we can't do what we need to do. Believe it or not, I heard that phrase for the first time when I started working here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't believe I've never heard that before, but that is a very true statement. Well, I'll do one better just to take that, like you can't pour from an empty vessel. So I've been at Brescia, this will be, this Friday will be my fourth Friday I've done a training with them, broken it down into different segments on trauma stewardship and talking about self-care, right? Because that's the buzzword, mm-hmm. self-care. Yeah. Care um, fatigue, self-care. It's all over the nursing magazines. Yes. And so I brought in a solo cup and I like put all these holes in it, like big holes, little holes, like tore out something. And I said, so if you're thirsty and this is your only cup to drink from, do you think you're going to be able to get enough hydration? And they're looking at me like I'm insane. <laughs> they're like, no, because it's just going to pour out. I'm like, so here's the thing with tending to your trauma, tending to your needs. You can do all the self-care in the world, like every day. You can go to yoga, you can meditate, you can pray, you can go to church, you can take your walks, you can do your wasas, you can do whatever. But if you don't patch the holes and find you some plaster or drywall, whatever, that needs to patch that hole, uh until you fix the holes, I'm telling you now, no amount of self-care is going to help you. And when I say help you, I mean long-term sustain. Like, in that moment, you might be like, oh, that yoga class felt wonderful. Right. Right? Because it did. I said, but it's a new way of understanding your cup's got a ton of holes. you got to figure out how to fix the holes. Then the self-care will sustain. And if your cup has 25 holes and your friend's cup has 50, you, you can't help them. <laughs> right? Right? You got to help yourself first. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, hey, check out this drywall. <laughs> it's amazing. And this one has glitter. I don't know. You like glitter. How about we work on this? <laughs> I like the way to think about that. I like that. Mm-hmm. And... Just being mindful of time. We're, we're getting towards the end here. Do you have anything else that you would like to add um, before we ask you a bunch of rapid fire questions? Thankful we're coming out of it. Thankful for our community. I think our community has been exceptionally strong through all this. Yeah, they've been pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, and there's been mistakes, and there always will be. That's how we learn. That's how we learn. We just have to have grace. Oh, Terry, I'm gonna have you back for another podcast on grace. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Woo, that's a good one. Season four, grace. Um, if anybody, after uh, meeting you today, they're like, "Oh my gosh." I would love to become a patient. Um, how would they find you? Uh, we have a website, um, uh, which is uh, kympeace.com. Sorry, I, re- I made the website. I didn't think of that. <laughs> I 
put I'll, I'll put that on our details section as well. So um, I, you can call the office uh, 270-215-0234. Or we have a Facebook page if you want all our... You got a Facebook page? We do. I didn't know. We, we do a lot of our like lab communications or you know, yeah. uh, office hours or um, different times we've done different educational series on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, cool. So, uh, we, so Facebook, I'm not on the Twitters. Um, I mean, I'm not that. I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it. It's My, okay. It's tanking right now. So oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so it's overrated. Um, I just got TikTok, but I can't figure it out. Hang on, it's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend asked me if she could Venmo me, and I was like, I have no idea what that means. But you put, uh, yeah, me you, too. You put a check in the mail. <laughs> if you still have a check, you know, if you still have a checkbook, <laughs> who knows now? But. Right. I don't know. I don't have a checkbook. You don't have a checkbook? No. <laughs> How do you pay for things? <laughs> Venmo. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'm owning it. I'll be 47 in December. I'm like, mm, I am who I am. I, if you don't like me, mm, oh well. Yeah, I'm, I'm 43, and I've never really been scared of age or birthdays. I really feel like birthdays is just a way to celebrate me. Um, <laughs> but I look back and think, gosh, you know, I've had a really, I've had a great life. I've loved every age, and just like people say, oh, what's your favorite season? One I'm in. And that's where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. My favorite age is 43. Yeah. <laughs> Living in the moment. I just love yes. that present energy. That is beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. She's awesome. <laughs> okay. So should we do the questions? I need yes. to shake off this COVID talk. I well, shake really, it off. I was really getting in on myself listening to you guys. Because <laughs> I, I brought back trauma. <laughs> It's just, it just, it just a little bit. It's just a little bit getting in my own head. But now I'm getting out of my head because I want to get into your head. I want to shake this trouble. I've been thinking about cereal all morning. <laughs> I told you I studied for this. <laughs> I did. I told her. I gave her an example. I was like, I was like, we're gonna ask you maybe like your favorite cereal. Okay, okay, okay. Well, would you like to ask the first question? Sure. Would it like to be cereal? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Go no. Um. So, what is your favorite cereal? What do you like to eat? Uh. So I really just like hot food. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, cream of wheat. Cream of wheat with a little bit of butter, uh, cinnamon, and splitter. Never had cream of wheat. I, I do eat oatmeal. So, you, I'm going to try some. I put it next to cheesy grits. <gasps> I love me some grits yeah. with cheese. Yeah, be careful sauce. about grits in this area. Um, nobody knows how to make them. Nobody knows how to make them. Oh, hell no. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, I spent my younger years in South Carolina, and uh, they know how to make the cheesy grits. My Aunt Sally, who lives in Savannah, Georgia, um, a minimum of about an hour on the stove of making the grits. And I mean, mm. I've never had either of these things, but I do think I want to try cheesy grits. Oh. That sounds very, very good. Shrimp and grits at my house, friend. I have to come up with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, shrimp and grits? That sounds phenomenal. Oh, on our so way to good. Korea, we ate at, uh, we you know, fly out crazy early in the morning. We have a four-hour layover. We had a layover, I think it was in Detroit, and they have a restaurant in the Detroit airport that served the very best uh, shrimp and grits I've ever had in my life. I took two pictures on it, and it is on my um, Alexa picture roll yeah. um, about every other hour. <laughs> every time I see it, I think, oh, shut up, so <laughs> Do they door dash? <laughs> From Detroit. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll buy a 
mind. It'll be okay. <laughs> okay, so if you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be? Oh, gosh. Do you know I have five boys? And uh, this is a question we talk about a lot. I am. And I've given it actually a tremendous amount of thought through the last several years. Telekinesis. Yes. <gasps> Ooh. picking stuff up with my head. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I can lay in bed and, like, have left my, my book on the, uh, the counter. I like that. That's good. That's well a good out. one. Yes. That's the that's the first uh, superpower. That that's the first telekinesis we've had. Yes. Yeah. I love the, I love the thought behind it. I do too. Um, what is your favorite gadget that you own? So we just discovered I'm not real handy as far as like computers and you know, apps and stuff. So um, my milk frother for my coffee in the morning. Yes. Um, I actually have four. Um, Mainly them. because I have found three of them on sale because I'm hoarding in my fear. <laughs> <laughs> Milk frothers are going out, people. Go find you one. Well, you know, it's hard to find a good one. Yes. And I found a brand that I liked. And then so this year I thought, you know, instead of like buying somebody a pair of shoes or socks or tie or whatever for Christmas, I'm just going to find things that I like and buy them and then give them to people and be like, this is the gift of something I like. And so that's genius. That's why I have four. I have not used all four. I have three in a box. Yeah. And, uh, well, actually, actually, I have five. I have one from Target. One. But then I have another one. I have three in the box. I, I'm going to steal that idea. No, I, I'll give you the yeah. bear. <laughs> well, because I have one and it's a rinky dinky, but I mean, that, yeah. I love that. Okay. If you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you be? So I gave that one some thought because, like I said, I studied before. <laughs> uh, I think the last episode that I listened to uh, was Dr. Tidwell, and he talked about an eagle. And uh, I have this dream. It's kind of a recurrent dream. I don't have it a lot. But, like, I'm soaring through the sky, like, just flying. And it's like freedom, and it feels good, and it's just it's just this amazing feeling. So I think I would be an eagle. I think he said eagle, too. So I'm still on I can only fly in my dreams when I'm lucid dreaming, and that's like always a goal. So definitely a good dream when you're soaring through the sky. It was, it's, it's a good dream. I, like I can give you a lot of get the feels on the inside. And, oh gosh, mm-hmm. that was good. It's my favorite ride at Disney World. The soaring ride. I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, I've been to Disney World. I have too. And I went for my honeymoon, and you're in this like kind of like a flight simulator, but it's like a row and. And it moves, and you're going like over the desert, and then you go dip down into the water. It's magnificent. They need just to have like that ride, like in the Lindsay Home. Um, okay, so I left my list in the conference room with my questions. <laughs> what else do I normally ask? Oh, um, what's your favorite beverage? Your go-to beverage? Uh, it, it, pretty much everybody who knows me in my inner circle. My love language is a diet coke. Um, that's that's my healing uh, mm-hmm. tonic is mm-hmm. Diet Coke and it if it's a really work. if you ever come in my office and see peanut m ms on my desk mm-hmm. it's it's a trauma day <laughs> uh, I have a Julie uh, Julie is my, my office manager and she's also a very awesome wonderful person but Julie occasionally will just like slide me some peanut m ms and then tell me what she needs to tell me <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I know what I'm getting into. If I come out of my office and there's peanut M Ms on my desk, I'm like, all right, it's okay. Yeah, here's something I don't want to hear. All right, <laughs> this is gonna be my last one. Who is your favorite band or musician? Hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of like a, a kaleidoscope. I like whatever's on the radio. Because that's still a thing, is the radio. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. I only listen to Spotify. I want to know. <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, you get pigeonholed on some of that because, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's like that TikTok. Where you just pause on something too long and then it just wants to show you that. Uh, probably, I like Matt Moore, um, who's a, he's a Catholic Christian singer. Um, and I like the Cranberries. Um, okay. <gasps> My 12-year-old went to a birthday party last weekend and karaoke and saw me. I'm very sad that I will never get to see them in concert, you know, because she passed away at, uh, was she in her 30s? Very young when she died. Uh, my favorite song of theirs is Linger. Yeah. I love that song. Yeah. It was nice about that song is you don't have to sing in key. You don't have to be able to, you can't carry two. I can't carry two. So, like, singing is something I do in the car, or, you know, if other people have headphones on. Uh, yeah. But Linger's one that I can just put on TikTok. Yeah, I love it. Okay, I'm going to ask one last question. Um, oh, this popped in the head. So, if money was no object, where in the world would you love to go for a vacation? So, I love new places and new things, but we went, my youngest is adopted from South, South Korea, mm -hmm. uh, so we went to Seoul um, for 12 days uh, in December of 19, and then uh, for another 14 days in January 20. We came back, actually, already had started their COVID shutdown. Uh, the day we were leaving, we're in the, we got custody, the poor guy. He had, uh, he was diagnosed with pneumonia. Oh, no. And as we're leaving in the airport, there's, there's this ongoing um, speaker of, you know, they called it the Chinese fever there. And um, if you have a fever, if you have a cough, if you have a runny nose and you fail to report to the certain station, uh, it was the equivalent of a $10,000 U.S. fine. Ooh. And um, the whole time, I'm just trying to sneak this kid through because I don't want him to stop me. And I just I just took custody. Our adoption, thankfully, at that moment, uh, I didn't realize until I got home, was finalized, finalized. Mm -hmm. And I was just waiting for somebody to stop me and find me $10,000 for having, having a kid in the moment. Um, but so Seoul, actually, my husband and I were able to go and, uh, you know, all this wonder and excitement and meet our our, our our mm -hmm. fifth baby, and uh, and we we just had a, a kind of almost like a honeymoon because you only get to meet him a couple of times and we're there for forever. Um, and then we come back and we you know this super excitement building for you know would have been two years to get custody, and then we had a full seven days of just bonding, and it was just this amazing time in this city of just pure resilience. Mm -hmm. Those people have been to hell and back mm -hmm. and have come out on top. And have this just love for humanity. Yeah. The people there are so kind. And the food is good. Oh, uh, yeah. The food is really good. Um, but I would, I would absolutely go back to Seoul. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I would probably extend that, and I would like to explore be a soul giant. Mm-hmm. I'd like to explore the country. I'd like to spend time there um, and just really get in the culture. That's beautiful. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's an awesome place. Uh, people always say, "Oh, go to Italy," which I would love to go to. But uh, if you ever have the opportunity mm-hmm. to go to South Korea, it's an amazing country. Hmm. I'll have to put that on my list. It's, yeah. it's a it's a good bucket list place. Yeah. Um, they, they have some cool stuff. Cool. Very technologically super. Oh yeah, pretty cool. Hmm. Well, Terry, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having yes, me. I enjoyed you. it. It was fun. Well, we enjoyed you. It was, it was a beautiful conversation, very authentic. Uh, definitely take, took us on a ride with our nervous systems, right? Uh, and that's how we build resilience. It is. Yeah. Through taking a ride with our nervous system. So thank you for saying yes. Thank you for coming today and taking time out of your busy, busy schedule. Um, and boy, this was just beautiful. Mm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And to all of our listeners out there, um, thank you for tuning in like you always do. Whether you're in India or in Wisconsin, we're glad that you're here. And just remember, you can change the world tomorrow just by listening today. Have a lovely day. Bye. Bye. Well, we've made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We hope you'll take something you heard today and use it to change the world tomorrow. We wanted to thank our music producer, Seth Hedges, from Uriah Wild Media. His website is in the show description. Also, a big shout out to Roddy Newton, our technical advisor. See you next time. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 26, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the U.S. Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. Thank you.